Blog Talk Radio. Manager 
of the Adolf Rupp era. So uh, we had to ask him about that. I had to ask him how he came to be a manager. He told me that when we talked on the phone last week. That was a funny story. But uh, I can't wait to hear y'all talk some Red Hawks. Yeah, you know, for way back when, you know, we were the Redskins and, and, and got renamed. But uh, I think I was one of the last couple of classes to actually be Redskins before the change. But uh, I know it's my alma mater gets forgotten about a little bit now. We haven't had the on-the-field success in a lot of things. But uh, Seneca's got a rich athletic history. And you know who I'm going to lead off with? Uh, Wes Unseld and, and those folks, uh, back-to-back uh, championships back in 63 and 64. So I'm looking forward uh, to that and, and let folks know, hey, Seneca, you know, you may don't, – don't sleep. Don't sleep. It's been a while, you know, but don't, don't necessarily <laughs> sleep on, on, on my, uh, my alma mater there. That's right. And, see, I was, was looking up – you know, stuff to tweet and, and get the hashtags right and, and get it all set up for the show because I've been kind of teasing it. And I Googled the school, Seneca, and I I thought y'all were the Redskins because as much as you roll your eyes about Harlan County and where I'm from, Cumberland, before they consolidated, Cumberland was also the Redskins. And I thought Seneca was the Redskins, and then I saw the mascot, and it was, you know, Indiana name. Pulled it up and it said Red Hawk. So I made sure I did, you know, put all put Red Hawk in there and everything. They weren't trying to tweet inaccurate facts, but I, I thought y'all were the Redskins. So I'm glad you said that. I was wondering. Well, yeah, we we were. And, and if you still, if you go by the school, and crazy as it sounds, the church I attend uh, every week is right across the street from Seneca. It's, I mean, it's right there on Goldsmith Lane here in Louisville. So I'm, I'm all, I always see it. I've been in Seneca in a long time, but I see it. But there is still a lot of redskin imagery because a lot of classes mm-hmm. donate a lot of different things throughout the year, uh, years. And so there are still – so it, it's kind of weird. I know they're officially the Red Hawks, but there's still this kind of weird overlap of, of, you know, fly hawks fly, but they're still kind of the – the the red skin kind of motif uh, that's there as well because like I said we were officially the red skins all the way through my years but about my sophomore year after that we weren't there wasn't a lot of stuff like on the sports uniforms and, and that kind of thing that were uh, related to the Native American uh, imagery and everything like that so we couldn't do the tomahawk chop that was banned at sporting events and different things like that. So there was like a three- or four-year period. We didn't really have a mascot. We didn't have a mascot coming out for games. It was just Go Seneca. The football uniforms really looked like Boston College. There was no – there was nothing nothing to them. Uh, The football – basketball uniforms the same way. It was just Seneca, and that was was it. Very (laughs) – Looking back, I've talked to some of my fellow alumni, and it just that for that stretch, you know, no matter where you fall on the the renaming, the old name, you know, I don't want to open up that discussion. But for a while there, we just looked like one of those generic teams you see in movies or on TV, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, when you look like at, at at the Fresh Prince when they're playing some school or or uh, you're looking at Saved by the Bell, you know, Bayside's playing. Oh, it's Seneca. It's just 
just a just a jersey with silicone on it. With that's it. Uh, but that's the <laughs> but that's the way it was. Uh, really, the only team I'll take that back. The only team that still had a little something was the baseball team because we had Seneca across the chest with the Braves. You know how the Braves have the tomahawk with uh, with Braves on it. We had a, a uniform similar to that. But other than that, it was just kind of we were just the generic team, and there was talks of what the names were going to be, uh, replacement names. Uh, you know, I voted for we could do like they did in Cleveland to go with the Browns. I thought that was a good name for the team, but uh, oh, <laughs> that, didn't, uh-huh. <laughs> that, that didn't get a yeah. <laughs> I I know I know so. <laughs> um, uh, so that didn't get a whole lot of traction. There were some really good ones. Uh, I, I really liked uh, the Spartans. That was a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other. Uh, a lot of them were uh, kind of out and about. You know how those colleges out west have those kind of crazy nicknames, lumberjacks and this kind of stuff. So, uh, but yeah, I think it was class of 97, which I was class of 95. Uh, the class of 97 was the last official redskin class, I believe. So, uh, you know, it's been a while, but those of us of a certain age still uh, will say, uh, still will say redskin uh, because yours truly, uh, since we're talking about Seneca, just putting this out here, I was most school spirited uh, for the class of 1995. Yeah. So, uh, much like I try to do at, at UK, I, I went to everything. I supported a little bit of everything and tried to be as involved as I could way back when. So, yeah. So most school spirited. That's 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 one of those things that you put on the resume. Put on the resume. Uh, so I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more uh, Seneca. Of course, we've got uh, Kentucky football to talk about. A lot of stuff still going on uh, in the world of sports. You know, we've talked about this for. I think we said this almost every show last summer. You know, usually you have that dead period, uh, but we have not had that. And it's kind of the same way this this uh, summer as well. You expect to kind of – but uh, with the baseball season going so long for Kentucky uh, baseball and just uh, the NBA offseason becoming so excited, there's just a lot of stuff uh, to talk about. So I know we'll we'll cover as much as we can – as uh, on, as you say, our our little show here uh, with Cat's Talk. Absolutely. And I guess technically last week was that dead week, and we still had a ton to talk about. You know, it was the week of the Estes where, you know, you had an all-star break and, and nothing really going on from on the field, on the court aspect, but we still had tons of stuff to talk about. Um, and like you said, it just, it just kind of it goes year-round now. Uh, there is no no slowdown. Uh, we just kind of roll with it and, and and roll with those punches, I guess. Yeah, and and there's a lot. Uh, your your Rockets kind of making moves. Uh, there's the the summer league uh, in the NBA, which I don't remember the summer league being as big as it is now. Uh, you know, watching you know the my Lakers win the summer league, which <laughs> Sounds like a hollow victory oh. to me. 
I've seen lots of Laker blogs and, 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 and social media things. Hey, we won the Summer League. And I'm like, we are better than this. We have 16 <laughs> world championships. We've been in the finals an additional 14 more times. We are better than this. But winning the Summer League still puts us a step ahead of the Clippers as far as winning championships. So I'll take it. But, you know, watching these games and, and you know, uh, on, the, on Cameron Mills Radio, uh, Michelle and I think Kayla really did a good job keeping track of the Kentucky guys in the NBA right. Summer League. Uh, but you see these clips of these guys in their summer league debuts, and you're thinking, I don't even remember, I didn't even know there was a summer league until like three or four years ago. But you know, someone yeah. like Obi and his debut and everything, and I'm like, what did I, what did I miss? That I know it wasn't on TV, but they didn't even seem like they talked about it. It was like your guy got drafted in June, and then you might see a clip at training camp, and then the season started. But now you're kind of you follow these guys, they get drafted, you know, they sign with their teams, they meet, you know, at the team headquarters, they play in the summer league. And uh, the Lakers summer league team was coached by Judd Buechler, who a lot of people forget, you know, was on that uh, couple of those uh, Chicago Bull winning teams. You know, that's a good trivia question, whatever happened to that guy. And so uh, it's just, it's just kind of, it's just kind of it, it You can't read too much into it. It's kind of a glorified pickup game. I mean, you know, not quite as uh, mentally taxing as a regular season game, but it's good to see the the young guys and the guys trying to make a uh, trying to get an invite to a training camp. It's a good thing, but I just don't remember it ever being this kind of this big ordeal uh, as it as right. it is now. But which is fine because I love basketball. I'm gonna watch it. You know, it may not be the yeah. best basketball. It may just be a oh, I remember that guy from this team a few years ago or whatnot, uh, but I'm going to watch it because I'm a basketball guy. That's what you do. Right, right. And I, I was kind of hit and miss with it. Some of it on ESPN I watched. Uh, I've still got to get on the NBA TV bandwagon with my cable provider. That's the only major network I don't have. You've got MLB, NFL, and all the others. don't have NBA TV. So that kind of, you know, cramped me on watching when it first started. But uh, Kyle been here and there on, you know, the ESPN games as it kind of progressed on towards the end, uh, especially in Vegas. Of course, our friend Tina Cox was out there, her and her husband, Rusty, uh, were out there catching some games live. So that was kind of cool. Like I said, her tweet about it, it was hot as the Dickens, but uh, she was still able to have a good vacation and, and catch some summer league hoops up close and personal. Yeah, and like I said, it, it's 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 good to have this kind of uh, like I said because we've got a lot of guys. Uh, I know Dominic Hawkins got a little bit of run. Bam looked fantastic. Uh, De'Aaron yeah. Fox looked really really good. And again, you don't want to read too much into it because there's going to be a learning curve. Obviously, uh, you know, I don't think uh, De'Aaron is going to have quite the free run uh, as he did. Uh, you know, he's not going to get too many straight line drives. You know when the season starts, uh, but you have to say, okay, the competition is probably a step up from uh, from most of these guys coming out of college, and it's just good to kind of get in that feel, kind of get that, uh, you know, as they say, get your feet wet on what you can anticipate with that NBA. Uh, you know, you end up playing back to back. I mean, that's that's something you these guys haven't really played 
you, you play a little bit in high school, I get that. But this is this is a little bit of difference than the than the Peach Jam, you know, playing some back to backs and just getting a feel for the the lifestyle uh, for a lot of these guys. So I, I think that's a, a great thing that they can go. They know what they need to work on to get ready for training camp and then get ready for the season. That's it. So you're right. They they will make uh, those transition back a little more difficult. You will have a little bit more trouble getting to that left hand and, and driving straight into finishing. But you mentioned the back-to-back in, in the NBA. Speaking of that, the NBA season is going to start earlier than it ever has, earlier than I remember. Usually, you know, November 2nd or 3rd, somewhere along in there. Maybe the final weekend in October. I think last year started October the 25th. This year, the regular season is going to start October the 17th, eight days earlier than the previous year, in an attempt to cut down on the number of those back-to-backs, also in an attempt to cut down on teams resting guys because, you know, a lot was made of that Spurs-Warriors game, prime time when all the, you know, high-profile guys weren't playing. So, that is kind of a move that was, was announced a few days ago, courtesy of Adam Silver. Your thoughts on that, moving it up to eliminate some of the back-to-back? Well, I think it was ESPN last year. I think it was ESPN. I get ESPN and Sports Illustrated, so I forget where I'm getting my information from. But long story short, there was a whole analytical uh, process or, or piece based on back-to-backs and playing like four games in five nights, which I think every team kind of runs into that at some point during the season. And, you know, some people don't like the numbers. They don't like the analytic side of sports, uh, which for my money, you got to take your old-fashioned gut feeling and you bounce it out with the stats. But long story short, this, this numbers guy, this mathematician, could say with pretty much certainty – you could have a team like the Warriors lose to, you know, my Lakers. You know, he could he he highlighted uh, he'd done it for a couple of years, but just looking at his data and he could predict. You know, we always scratch our head. You know, like this past season, how could the Warriors lose to the Lakers? Well, you look and you factor in back to backs traveling from the coast. Uh, you factor all that kind of travel in, and you can just you can with great certainty say, okay, this team can is going to lose this game. And uh, he had a pretty good percentage of at least picking a lot of those the good teams to lose to the not good teams. And if they didn't lose, it was probably a closer game than the spread and the experts would have thought. So there's a lot that goes into that, you know. It's a weird thing when you talk about, well, you know, in the old days, the guys used to travel, uh, you know, by a commercial jet and this, that, and the other. Yeah, but there's 30 NBA cities now. It's not like it was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s where you're kind of grouped together, you know, in the east and in the west. It's not like that anymore. So it's a lot different uh, aspect of, of travel. And I know it's it's first class, it's different, but still, traveling can be a little bit of a burden. 
So I, I think it's going to be a better on-the-court product, not even for resting players, but I just think for what we may see uh, for, for teams that when they're just playing just a regular game, not resting their guys, I think we're going to see a better on-the-court product. Yeah, yeah, it couldn't help but enhance it or increase it, uh, even with the great shape they're in. Like you said, it's still a grind. you got uh, the Spurs always had that rodeo trip. Your Lakers had it's the Grammy trip where it's just a extended, prolonged road trip in the middle of an already long season. So you know, kind of purging some of that will, will definitely help. Uh, have a fresher and, and have guys feel being able to play without all the, the back and back and backs. And it was just seeming like this past year and the year before, there was just a lot of them just stacked on top of one another. It seemed like it became more. Maybe it didn't, but a lot was made of it because it seemed like, you know, it just kept happening, reoccurring more and more. Well, and I think in the old days, uh, guys, they used to just manage the minutes a little bit better, so we, it wasn't as noticeable. Uh, you know, we, we talk about – you look at that 96 Bulls team that went 72-10. and 10, You know, some of their losses uh, – I think two of their losses uh, – oh, I'm trying to think of the teams. But two of them are just out-and-out head scratchers, like how that even happened. Even mm-hmm. – uh, you look at Golden State, with uh, that 73-9 and nine team, you know, we like to put the asterisks because they didn't win and all that, but they lost to, I think, Milwaukee the night after going to, like, triple overtime at Boston. And then triple overtime game, they won at Boston and flew, had to, you know, after the game had to fly to uh, Milwaukee for the next game. You know, you played till 11, 11.30, you have to get ready. You know, so they didn't get there till early in the morning and trying to get sleep. So it it was just a recipe, especially if they're playing a team that has rested, that is at home. It, you you can almost like I, like I said, this guy this mathematician had just said these are the games that the good teams could could really could could lose, and it and it happened. So I think by stretching that out, reducing those back to back. Or, or not putting up, trying not to – and the schedule is hard. I, I get that. 82 games, 30 teams. That's a lot of games to try to keep track of and all that. Uh, but try not to have one team playing a back-to-back against a rested team. Try to even that playing field out a little bit. So I think the on-the-court product will be a lot better, uh, you know, because that's what people have been griping about these last couple of seasons. But I think it will I think it'll improve. Definitely. We'll catch just a, a quick break right now. We still got to talk about uh, the Cats being predicted to finish fifth in the uh, SEC East from last week's SEC Media Day. Uh, that to get to, and as far as they're still, the way they're still being perceived in spite of, you know, kind of having a breakthrough season last year. I'll talk about all that as well as, you know, uh, Wimbledon was kind of old school. I talked about that as well. And I will give Joey Couch a call so we can talk some football with him. So you're listening to uh, Cats Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy, Jay Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back. And hopefully we'll have one Joey Couch on the line with us.
I am here. Can you hear me? All right, all right. Dig it out, Joey. Send him a text. Hopefully we can get him back. 
within the next few minutes. And if not, we'll have to reschedule. Um, we're looking forward to talking with him. Gabe McCollins sent him a quick text, so we'll, we'll see what happens in these next 25-ish minutes or so before Grover Spells calls in. And when we go Red Hawk Central with Terry <laughs> Grover. <laughs> and what other um, connection or tie? Uh, it talked about how both were the Redskins, um, and, you know, Seneca pretty much Redskins all the way through to the past few years. I guess in, in Cumberland it was just wasn't really trying to be PC. They were Redskins all the way until they closed their doors in 2008. They were playing the Tomahawk Chop game in and game out every Friday, every basketball game. They just they just rolled with it. Uh, of course, the schools all consolidated in 2008, but they rolled that Redskins thing all the way to the end. But one other fun fact that links the two schools, aside from both being nicknamed the Redskins, you had back in the day at Seneca, your football coach, and of course, Ron Kane, played in the NFL, great high school coach. He also left and went to Cumberland and built some great teams in the 80s. And, of course, Freddie Maggard was on that team. Uh, they went to a couple of state title games back-to-back. Uh, but you have that connection, that distinction that Ron Kane coached both of our schools. So as far apart as they are and nothing in common with, you know, little Cumberland and Big Louisville, a lot of similarities and, and, and cool things that link Seneca and Cumberland. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, that's what, uh, isn't that the tagline for the show? Big city, small uh, small town coming together. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> that was just that was uh, something uh, a little corny I, I tweeted out. I hope, it, hope everybody thinks it's cool. But I, I, I just tweeted it. I typed it out, and I just, I don't know, lost a mistake. <laughs> but uh, real quick, this is kind of breaking news here in my hometown. We've talked about this issue several times. Uh, the Yum Center deal with the University of Louisville, it is, current, it is news is breaking that it's being renegotiated, that Louisville, the university, is going to have to put a little bit more into the pot to operate the Yum Center. And the new... Uh, president of the university, Postel, uh, Postel uh, uh, is kind of laying down the law and, and uh, reported here by Wave 3 News here in town that this is going to, this deal represents a shift from athletics calling the shots to academics calling the shots, which the details haven't fully come out, but Whoa. Uh, and apparently Tom Jurich has been kept in the dark uh, on exactly what the new deal is going to say. So so there's a lot of folks here in, in red and black in, in Card Nation or Card Town, Card Village, whatever it is, that are really, whoa. Uh, you know, but my thing is, and we've talked about it, I'm not going to rehash everything. But this is what the, the university itself needed a shift, needed a 
change in direction. And if this deal is the start of that, I think that's going to be good for for the university as a whole. Because, and I want to get this right, um, they've been having meetings this week with the board of trustees and 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 trying to get everything on the right right page. Um, but what we're trying to talk about in the abstract of what does this mean for you, Bill? Our perception of of what it means. When you look at this, I want to get this right. Uh, Joe Sanka covers U uh, of L. He's, he's, he's a, a great reporter here in town. Uh, but here is why you have to clean house. You know, you and I have talked about. Kentucky fans have talked about. A lot of fans have talked about. Okay. There's a lot going on at U of L, academics and athletics. At what point do they have to make a change? This point is today, and let me tell you why. In the fiscal year of 2016, U of L received $81.7 million in gifts to the university. 81.7, okay? In fiscal year 20, gifts, just people donating to the university. What have you? I mean, that that's a pretty good number. Come, kind of yeah. compares to what you might get at UT UK. That's 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 fine. Eighty-one point seven. Fiscal year twenty seventeen. Donations were fifty-seven point seven million dollars. That is a that's a twenty-four million dollar drop, or forty-one point six percent. And the theme is a lot of donors, they haven't given up on the university, but they're basically saying you have to fix this in its totality. That's $24 million gone. And and I'll I'll retweet some of this stuff out. That's why they have to get it right. You know, it's not about oh, we don't like Patino, don't like George, don't like Petrino, all this kind of stuff. If you are a, a fan of the university, you've got to want to get this fixed because the, the bottom line, whether you're red or blue, it's the green that makes a difference. And you can't, no entity, college, business, what have you, $24 million drop-off, I mean, what what what's going to happen to you and your family if you have a forty one point six drop in revenue? That is a big deal that you have to address because you you don't know is that the bottom? You have to say if, if they don't change their ways, is is fiscal year twenty eighteen going to see even a bigger drop than that? And a lot of people, and I think I said this in, in on this show when some of these issues first came up. When the big-time donors stop donating, things will change. And, and we've kind of seen that taking place where the university is trying to right the ship. So uh, a lot of things, like I don't have all the details on the new uh, deal for, um, uh, for the Yum Center, but it, there seems to be a shift in, in how the, the University of Louisville is going to operate going forward. So this 
meeting, kind of a, a secret meeting behind Tom George's bag, a secret vote, something to that effect? I, I don't think it was it, it was the school president who obviously has the authority to do a lot of different things. Uh, it, it's the school president kind of making a deal and, and kind of keeping Tom out of the loop. There has been a push because he's athletic director and a, a school VP. There has been a push to say, no, you're just the director of athletics and kind of curb some of his powers. And look, I, I, understand, I have said it before, as an athletic director, he has been fantastic. I talked about it when I covered the the baseball game, you know, uh, the Louisville Kentucky baseball game, uh, super regional. Just driving by Louisville's campus, even from when I was in school twenty years ago in, in in high school, it is it is it is totally different. It is beautiful. I mean, it's given. Yeah. It, I think aesthetically, it is past UK. I mean, it is a vibrant, mm. fantastic, and a lot of it is. A lot of those athletic facilities right there on campus, they're beautiful, state-of-the-art. It's very welcoming. Jurich has helped navigate Yule from being a vagabond kind of, you know, Conference USA to the Big East and now to the ACC. He got into the big boys table. I get that. But you have to do things the right way. And just because you can do some things, we've seen a lot of things place because no one – in power, said, so wait a minute, we have to do this the right way. You know, it comes out that George was getting additional payments uh, from former President Ramsey, kind of off the table kind of stuff. Look, no one's saying that George doesn't deserve the money he's getting, but there's a way you do it. And if yeah. the new administration, the new board of trustees is going to come in and, and kind of reestablish a little bit of order, it's going to be fantastic for everybody moving forward. And I don't think he's trying to punish Jurich or punish the athletic program, but you have to get the entire house in order. And and the way to do that is, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. Let's make these changes. I mean, that's how I see it, but but I don't know how that's going to play. And it doesn't seem to be playing well with, with these diehard folks uh, and everything like that. And the funny thing to me was the biggest talk around was uh, the Kentucky football team has that bracket set up in the weight room. I don't know if you saw that. ESPN's Reese Davis uh, tweeted out early this morning talking about the college football playoff. And it's got the bracket, and it's got Kentucky on it. And, no. you know, a lot, of, a lot of Louisville folks a little derisive about that and ha-ha, he-he. <laughs> and my thing is uh, – that should be your goal. If you're yeah. a basketball player and your goal is not to make it to the final four, then why are, why are you playing if that's not your goal? You know, if your goal is not to be in the, reach the World Series, why are you playing baseball? I mean, what, what, what is it? I mean, that should be the goal, and I'm okay with that. But right when all the, you know, kind of stuff on social media, ha, ha, he, he, Kentucky football, this news dropped. And it's just one of those things. You, we're all in glass houses. I, I get it, but man, ha ha he he, nothing. You know, <laughs> you got to get your house right. You know. <laughs> and you you mentioned it with, you know, the job he's done, and it's it's obvious. You know, even 
the most uh, post Louisville, you know, fan as far as being opposed to Louisville, had to recognize what he has done. But you also talked about a need to have some of his power curbed, you know, to scale it down a little bit, put some checks and balances in place because everything hasn't been done uh, exactly kosher, exactly the right way. So this is the beginning of that process to to scale things back to, uh, like you said, let academics kind of run things uh, instead of it just being kind of exclusively juries and athletic department the way it has been. Right, and that's and that's the uh, that's what I, I think. It, it all the athletic stuff going on. I think that would be one thing, but all the academic issues as well. I, I mean, there's a hundred million dollars that kind of flowed into the foundation that nobody can account for. I, I mean, there's just uh, the U of L uh, school foundation. There's just all these little things. It's like, wait a minute, and then the old president leaves, and magically his his hard drive gets erased. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, there, there's hey, a lot. Of, it, let, let me yeah. slide over. This is Joy. This is Joy Couch calling in right now, so we'll get him on for a few minutes. Absolutely. I think Vinny's getting our guest ready, but just a little bit of news uh, on the on the. Uh, home front with with Louisville and, and what's going on, which I think is a good is a good deal, uh, because if you're a university in a city, you you've got to have you can't have a confrontational relationship with with city government or even the state government. So I think this is a good move for everybody because Louisville's still going to make their money. Uh, the state will be able to, to to get revenue, make sure the bonds don't uh, expire. So just a great move all around. Are you there, TV? I'm here. All right. Joey Captain's going to call in, so we'll we'll get him on 15, 20 minutes or so, and then slide right into the Seneca talk. He just got off work a little bit late, so he is going to hop on with us to be calling in any second. So uh, appreciate you jumping in while I slid over and, and took his call, and it's all going to work out and, and be just fine. Not a problem at all. You know, I I don't mind uh, talking. You know, I get on my little soapbox. <laughs> oh, no problem at all. No problem. But Jay will get his thoughts on on the cats as well as his time at UK and uh, all that good fun stuff too. So uh, he should be calling us right back. What were you soapboxing about in the in the interim? You still little? Just or, yeah, just, just 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 putting the. Yeah, just putting a bow on that and, and hopefully – because, you know, I've not been one of these Kentucky fans to talk uh, – I mean, I've had some fun with the rivalry, don't get me wrong, but, you know, Mama B went to L. Papa B went to L. You know, so uh, I, I'm friends with uh, Louisville fans and alumni, so I'm not going to – I don't try to go scorched earth like a lot of uh, folks. Um, so I want the universe to do well. I just want to lose on the field – when they're playing Kentucky, that's that's my thing. I think that's legitimate. Uh, but there can be a win-win. You know, I wouldn't expect uh, the University of Kentucky to do anything uh, outlandish to to really antagonize 
the city of Lexington. You've got to have that uh, symbiotic relationship between the university and the, and the city in which it resides. I don't think that's too much to too much to ask. Absolutely. We will pick that up again as well, but now we'll segue right back to some UK football because our is on the line now, former UK defensive lineman, pride of Paintsville, Kentucky, one Joey <laughs> Couch. Joey, thank you for taking the time to jump on the show. Even though you were just getting off work, still going to call in. We really appreciate it, man. How are you? Hey, man, I'll make time for you guys any time to talk some football, especially SEC and Kentucky football. You got to do it, man. Yeah. How, how excited are you for this season? Oh, I'm pumped, man. I'm really pumped, and uh, I think all the Big Blue Nation's pumped. Uh, I know the players are excited, and, uh, you know, we, we, they've put in the work, and, uh, you know, it's it's been a it's been a long uh, road, but, uh, you know, I think uh, we're going to see the uh, the, um, the fruitions of, of a lot of hard work on the recruiting trails, and and a lot of development among players and, and uh, you know, finally uh, see Kentucky be able to compete uh, on a really high level all the way across the board, you know, 22 deep uh, and even a little bit deeper at some position. So I think it's going to be a, a really exciting uh, year, and I'm looking for some really big things from the Cats. Go ahead, TB. I think I'll, I'll cut you off with. No, I'll just say thank you for coming on. We certainly appreciate it. Now, Vinny and I have said, whatever, again, thanks for, for coming on. We certainly appreciate you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But but I think we, we, we there's a lot of excitement for U.K. football this season. The recruiting has been there, and then everybody's kind of happy. What I try not to do, because uh-huh. I'm – Older than video, is, is is not to discount those folks like yourself that came before and say we've right. had great players. The on the field yeah. success, okay, I get that the wins and losses, but it's not like we have been bereft of talent or really great moments or really great teams. Do you feel yeah. a connection from your era to 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 what Mark Stoops is doing? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, you know, guys, uh, I I played. You know, I read shirt. I came in with Freddie, and I know you had uh, Jerry Bell on there, and and uh, played with some great players at the university. Uh, you know, back then we only we only uh, you know six and five didn't get you to any bowl games back then. But uh, you know, I I think you know at the time when I played there, we were very competitive. I, I know my sophomore year we finished second in defense and. And uh, really had a chance to have an outstanding year. Uh, let a couple of ball games get away from us. And you know, the whole time I was there, we were very competitive. You know, we've had some ups and downs, but you know, the thing I like, you know, and we kind of saw it in the Rich Brooks there, and uh, you know, was the continuity of of a staff and allowing a coach to to build. And, you know, it, it, it takes a, a while for him to instill the things that uh, that he wants in his players, the kind of work, work ethic. And, 
you know, the kind of things that he expects. And also, you know, to recruit the kind of kids that can play at that level and and give yourself a shot every Saturday to win. Starting with former UK lineman Joey Couch, defensive lineman Joey Couch. Joey, they just came back from SEC Media Day down in Hoover, Alabama, and Been the there. media yeah. picked them. Media picked them since, even after the good year yeah. last year. <laughs> a lot is still made of the defensive line, the position that you played and know well, as being a question mark and kind of thin. What do you see when you look at the, the crop of defensive linemen going into this season? Well, it is it, it's probably one of the biggest question marks. Okay, but what I like about uh, the spring, I went down and watched a lot of the spring. Is um, I like the size that we have. Uh, I like a lot of the talent we have. I think we've finally gotten to the point where we have enough bodies that, uh, you know, you don't have to have, you know, a defensive line, you don't have to have incredibly all, you know, just unbelievably gifted athletes, but you have to have enough to withstand the, the punishment that you incur during a season in probably, the, in my opinion, the best college in uh, college football, so or the best conference. So you know that's one of the big things, and and I think that's where you're going to see a lot of improvement this year. Is just you know like with the Pringle kid, there, there's a lot of talent that that was raw last year that I saw flashes of of, of a lot of talent that can can really and, and I'm excited about the coaching change. I think uh, what's his name? I really like the way he coaches. Um, he brings a lot of energy. He demands uh, uh, he demands accountability, and he really works those guys. and And that's a lot of it. And then you know it all plays you know it all plays into a big factor in you know how you are at DB, how you are at linebacker. So there's a lot of fits that have to happen to have a good defensive line. But I think as far as the talent and the size and the depth that we're really close to being where we need to be, and I think we got just enough to really make some noise in the East this year. Were you were you talking about the, the new defensive line coach? Is that, that who you said yes, you're liking? Yes, sir. That uh, LeBlanc. escaping my mind. Uh, Derek LeBlanc. Oh the, yeah, the new coach. Yeah. And that's it. what I was going to. That's what I was going to ask you. Also, uh, I don't know if, if you went through changes at position coach or or coordinator oh. when you were at UK. Oh, yeah. But when you these guys had you know Jimmy Brumball the entire time Mark Stoops has been there, DJ Elliott at defensive coordinator the entire time yeah. that Coach Stoops has been there. Now you switch to Derek LeBlanc, a D-line coach, Dean Hood, defensive coordinator. As a defensive lineman, and you can speak from experience, uh-huh. that, you know, how did you approach having a new position coach at your position 
and a new coordinator over the entire defense. How did you? Did it affect you? Did you change anything? How did you handle it? Well, uh, that that you could you could write a book on that, of course, but uh, <laughs> but you know. It depends on who you get. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. You know what I mean? And, uh, and and I see a lot of continuity. I see a lot of I see a lot of positive things that uh, I went through a coaching change. I played for Coach Claver for three years. Uh, you know, I was All SEC preseason in 1990, and we had so many kids coming back from a defense that was you know, a top five defense in the conference. And, and uh, you know, it, it just didn't turn out good. It, it just, you know, we, we uh, changed schemes and, uh, you know, we uh, there was a lot of cohesion lost. And I think, you know, it can be it can be a really great thing or it can be a disaster. And, you know, it's really uh, – it depends on, on, you know, of course the coaches – and then the attitudes of the kids and how receptive they are to the change. And the biggest thing is, is there's not a, a new head coach. And, you know, the things that he's implemented are already in place. You know that he's been very involved in the defense since he got there. So I don't think much has changed in there. All, all I see really is a change in defensive line coach. And uh, just to be honest with you, I think it's going to be positive. Then you look at and nothing against oh. nothing against Coach Brumball. I like him, but uh, I, I I just I feel like uh, I feel like I just feel like this is going to be a, a move in the right direction for him. Okay, um, and talking with former UK lineman Joey Couch. You look at Matt Elam going into his senior year, and we saw what Greg McElroy said, you know, last week on the Instagram yeah. Network. Your thoughts on that young man, uh, in-state kid mm-hmm. with a lot of talent, and now it's going yeah. to his final season. What are you seeing to see, Matt? Well, I think it's very unfortunate. I think it's sad, you know. I think it was a kid with tremendous upside, but you know, guys, uh, uh, you know it's a, you know, to play in that conference and to be a standout player, uh, you, you have to have a lot of qualities, and and I'm not saying that Matt didn't have them all, but uh, there was definitely some things that were going on with Matt. Of course, I think that he's had issues with his weight the whole time. Um, you know, he plays high, uh, you know, just Ooh. things that are so de- detrimental. You know, I played, you know, in 1991, you know, I was all SEC. I ended the year, every year I started the year about 260, and I would end up at about maybe 245. But the thing that I did is I had good form. I played low. I didn't get blocked into the linebackers. Things that uh, you know that are that are so hard. I'm, I'm uh, letting uh, the scheme of the defense, you know, really, really take root and uh, be able to shine. So you know, I, I don't. I, you know, Matt is just. You know, it's it's been unfortunate, but you know, he has contributed. 
you know, I think there some people call him a disappointment. But, you know, the way I look at it is the, the, the young man has stuck it out. Uh, he hasn't let the, the doubters and the naysayers run him off. And that shows a lot of character in itself for, for Matt Elam. Definitely, definitely. And he's still got a shot to have a a big season based on where everybody expected him this year. You know, he got a new yeah. defensive line coach that you, you yeah, like. And, and that, could made, made that could be the big difference right there. He, I, I'm telling you guys, I mean, coaching makes the big difference. I mean, you know, you've heard that saying, you know, I'd run through a wall for that guy. Now, I mean, you know, some coaches just have it and some coaches don't. They know how to love kids and motivate them and get them to do things that they never even dreamed that they can do. And I think that uh, maybe we're going to see a lot of that this year from the defensive line from Kentucky. And I think also that they're going to play with a chip on their shoulder because they have a lot of people doubting them. And, you know, when you got a bunch of guys that get together – and want to prove uh, something wrong, then uh, there's a good chance, man, that that uh, you're going to be surprised on what happens on Saturday. We got a Twitter question for you, Joey, uh, coming from your fellow D-tackle, uh, Jerry Bell and Donald Felky. They're listening in uh, at Hospital 98 Bell. on Twitter. Bell, what's up? <laughs> they want to know what effect will not have. <laughs> they don't know what effect will not have two days have on the team during camp. Will it impact the mental toughness going into the season? Oh Lord, I, I, I wish we'd have had that when I played. <laughs> <laughs> I'd vote for it. I know that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, you know, football changed, and, and, you know, it's a different game today, guys. I mean, you know, there's a lot, you know, it, just the whole philosophy of the game's changed. And, and you know, football's played so much more in space. If you go back and look at my game and, and you watch a Garrison Hurst run and, and you know, Rodney Hampton, and those type of backs, I mean, it was literally, you know, pitch the ball back to the running back, and there was uh, a massive collision on, you know, at least three out of four plays <laughs> on a four-down series. So, you know, I, I think today's game has changed and, and evolved, and I think for the good, for for health reasons, for later on, for these young men, but I don't think it's going to affect them. These guys will be in shape. They'll be ready. And, uh, you know, they've been working all summer. See, people don't realize, man, this is – when you sign that dotted line, you are – this is a 306 I, – I can honestly say it. It's probably at least a 325-day a, a calendar – or uh, a, a year, 325 days that you are dedicating to the game of football. So, you know, if you can't get ready uh, for that and you're just going to miss out on some two-a-day practices, uh, you know, that's not going to make or break you, believe me. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, last question. I definitely enjoyed the time, Joey, and definitely want to have to get you on again. Um, you are one of the many athletes um, from the town of Paintsville. You know, you know John Pelfrey, Ty Tackett, yourself, uh-huh. Cash Daniels there now, and I'm forgetting some guys. But Tony Mays. Who's the most? Yes, yes. Who's the most famous? Yeah. Paintsville Tiger of all time. And if, if all of y'all in the room, who's the life of the party? I'd say Joey Couch. No, I'm not. <laughs> 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 you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm a legend in my own mind, guys. Hey. So I'd say, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of great athletes come through there. And, you know, I had the chance to play with uh, John. John and I. You know, I also played a little other sport, too, played a little basketball. And, uh, you know, there's just been so many really, really fantastic uh, athletes. You know, know, like uh, we had a guy there, uh, Mike Minnix, back in the 60s. They called him Mike the Missile Minnix. And he's probably one of the best players that ever played there. We had a guy that that didn't even get there. He – he was tragically uh, killed in a car accident before he got there by the name of Bobby Mullins. Uh, and, and the guy that I mentioned uh, on the phone there, Tony Mays, uh, you know, was uh, uh, an incredible, incredible football player and was instrumental in, the, in, the, in beating Florida, I think, in 85. You know, I think the last time we had beat them, and, uh, you know, he came up with the fumble recovery uh, in that game, and he was kind of a hero of mine. And uh, so we've been blessed. And, I, and you know what the big thing is, though? You know, this is a funny thing, and, you know, UK needs to remember this. But, you know, in 1987, when I came to the University of Kentucky, we were still over at the Shively Center. And, the second week I was there, we moved into the new facility, okay, the Nutter Center, which was God's gift to earth, okay? If you had ever had to dress in the Shively Center with 140 uh, hairy mammoth beasts uh, pretty much stacked on top of each other, I mean, it was an experience all into itself. And then you move into that Nutter Center. And then you walk over there today, and, of course, you know, it's almost been 30 years, you know, since that complex was built. And and then Cash Daniels walks in, and look what they've got. So, you know, we need to keep that in mind. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I get a big Absolutely. kick out of that. And Cash and I, we laugh about that a lot. <laughs> Last thing, being from Southeastern Kentucky, did you go to Lexington with a chip on your shoulder because they always say, you know, the competition isn't as good, this, that, and the other? And did you have a chip on your shoulder heading to Lexington? I'm... Well, I'll tell you what, I had the biggest chip on my shoulder. I, I, I'll tell you what happened, guys. And we did. We had a rash of guys that came down and, and not finished, you know. And uh, I was lucky because, you know, Freddie and I were roommates. But the biggest thing is, I had a guy tell me right before I was leaving town that he he, he owned a gas station there in Paintsville. 
And he told me, he said it actually to a friend of mine, and I was in the car and I overheard him. And he said, I bet he'll be back here in two weeks, and he'll be down here pumping gas. And I told him and I told everybody involved in my life that they would absolutely have to bring me back in a box before I ever came back because that guy said that to me. (laughs) (laughs) And I could have easily left, guys. I blew my shoulder out like the third day I was there. So could you imagine being a freshman talking like like, like I do? You know, I think my accent's not as bad because I, I lived in Lexington for 25 years. But to show up, uh, you know, and the varsity come in and you're in a sling already. So they had a really good time with me. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joey, man, we we appreciate you so much for, for finishing work right up and then still jumping on the show with us. And we definitely well, love to have you on again once. Once we get into the season and have you on again and talk some more football. Absolutely, man. You know, try to get me. We'll be probably 4 and 0. Try to get me on that week. We'll be all pumped up. There, <laughs> there we go. go. I'm looking <laughs> for big things, that. though, guys. I'm telling you, you know, I know uh, some people called us the, the dark horse and, and things of that nature. I, I, I truly feel like this could be a special team for Kentucky this year. Hey, we sound good. We're right there with you. All Thanks right, so guys. Keep up the good work. Oh, we, Thank you. We appreciate it. I've had a good time. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Go Big Blue. That, See you guys. <laughs> all right. That is former UKD lineman Joey Couch. Follow him on Twitter at CoachCouch55. And now we will transition Right into our second guest of the evening, Seneca High is in the building, TB, as we have a fellow Seneca alum who is also the Jefferson County Alumni Vice President. That would be Mr. Grover Sales. Grover, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on the show and hold on the line a little bit uh, longer than than we thought. Uh, Appreciate it so much. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm I'm doing great, guys. It's a nice hot day, and uh, I worked out the Red Hawks this morning from nine to eleven, and uh, and got the good. Uh, you know, you got to watch the heat with the kids, but uh, I got a good bunch of kids, and they're, uh, they're 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 really trying to work out to get ready for the season. We don't have big numbers, but we got heart. We got kids with really big hearts. And that's great because I know what it takes to be a good Seneca student and athlete is you got to have big heart. So I, I understand exactly what you're saying. <laughs> now, Terry, when did you, when did you get out of Senate? Uh, 1995. Oh man. Oh, are you, are you a child? <laughs> man, I, I graduated, <laughs> I graduated. <laughs> man, you got short pants on brother. I, I graduated in 1969. <laughs> well, you're you're making me feel good. I'm a couple of weeks away from my 40th birthday, so that that you you you've made my day already. You you, you might be one of my, my favorite guests we've had on this show. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, you know what they say, don't you? Is that uh, every day above ground is a good day, and so that's what I look at. When every time I get up and go over to practice field over there at uh, at Ron Kane Stadium, and Ron Kane was, of course, my coach at Seneca back in the '60s. Won a 
Triple A state championship in 1965, beating famous Flagey High School 13 to 12 in the Triple A title game. And uh, Coach Kane, of course, no longer with us, but uh, we named the stadium after him four years ago. We have a brand new scoreboard with his name on it. And nothing made me prouder than to honor my old coach by uh, by doing that, even though he's no longer with us. And, and that's I, I was looking forward to this when when Vinny said you were going to come on because you know right now uh, I know the wins and losses haven't been there for a lot of the Seneca teams and even when I was there, but there's a rich right. history to the program right there in Pikes Point and. You, the names you're saying, you know, I remember passing them in the hallways. You see the pictures. Obviously, you see the trophy cases. So I, I'm I'm super stoked uh, about this trip down Seneca Memory Lane. Well, let, let me tell you this. When uh, I got there in 1963 as a seventh grader, that was the first year Coach Kane got there from Lagner High School, and he was an assistant. And Seneca had had six years of losing football, and the principal, Kenneth Farmer, he, he made up his mind that, he was tired of losing football games. And so he he heard this name, Ron Kane, and he said, Ron Kane, who, who is Ron Kane? And the guy said, he's an assistant coach at uh, at Wagner High School. But, man, this guy can really coach. And, and he, he told him one thing. He said, if I walk in the door, Ken, he said, I want total control of football. I want total absolute control. And he said, I promise you, we will turn it around. And, you know, Coach Kane never had a losing season uh, in 65. He, he, he might have had his best team in 64, but 65, he, he had this, this tremendous talent. And uh, we went through the season with one loss, 26-6 to six to Wagner in the, in the driving rainstorm with six fumbles. I'll never forget that game, nor do I want to forget what it was like in, at practice on Monday. And uh, then – we uh, we went through the season undefeated and uh, got to play the great Oscar Brom, whose sons have played at Louisville now, uh, Greg Brom, uh, Brian Brom. They're all, you know, this is their daddy, and he was the All-State quarterback, had uh, 27 touchdown passes. Wagner was, of course, I mean, excuse me, Plaget was favored by, over Seneca by 27 points. We had no chance, absolutely no chance. And uh, we got on the bus. To go to Fairground Stadium, and last thing Coach Kane said before he buttoned us up, he said, "We are not coming back without the trophy." And he meant it. And we got out there, and we played our guts out. And uh, a boy named Bobby Wixon, who played at UK later, blocked the extra point that would have tied the game and given Flaget a co-championship because there was no sudden death. And uh, Seneca won 13 to 12. And uh, no county school had ever beaten a city school ever. And so it was really an accomplishment, but it was a testament to Coach Kane and his ability to motivate a team that they could play above themselves. And they did that night. They were the better team. And, that, and that's great. And Vinny and some of those folks not from Louisville area uh, don't remember that the Louisville City Schools used to be different from Jefferson County. Kind of like right. you know Louisville, you know Louisville and Jefferson County, kind of out in the state. The county schools kind of were. You know, it was different. So, so that that was that's a pretty big deal to to beat Flaget because that was the Trinity and Saint X of the day. So, well, huge, that, that's where uh, Howard, victory there. Howard Schnellenberger and Paul Horning both played at Flaget, so that'll give you yeah. some testament to their history. They uh, wow. very small Catholic 
all boys school, but boy, they turned out some real football players. But I think they overlooked Seneca that night. I've talked to a bunch of Flage uh, friends of mine, a guy named Tim Mayher, who uh, played at UK when I was uh, in basketball at UK. He was on the football team playing for uh, John Ray. He he said uh, they overlooked Seneca. They they didn't they, at the time. He said he wasn't there, but he said I guarantee you, Flage overlooked Seneca, and they did. And Seneca wanted the game, and sometimes wanting the game more than the other team is better than talent. Yeah, we, and we you see that across any sport you want to look at. The team that wants it more is usually the one that will that will win. Absolutely. Well, of course, you know, I have a second life, guys, besides being at Seneca. When I, Coach Kane left my senior year, and he had played at UK in the 50s. Matter of fact, they call him Sugar Kane. He had, uh, he had played at Cumberland and led the state in scoring from a, a single-wing formation fullback. And uh, actually, Coach Kane was uh, my coach, and he also coached Freddie Maggard. So we have some – Freddie and I have something in common – but uh, Coach Kane decided he'd done all he could do at Seneca, and he uh, he took an assistance job to John Ray at UK in 1969. And since I was graduating and I was too slow and limited in my abilities, he took me with him to UK as a, a student manager, but I got a full ride. Unfortunately, John Ray and I didn't uh, see eye to eye on things, and he uh, he divested himself of me after two weeks. And uh, I was fortunate enough that Harry Lancaster, who was the athletic director, took me down to see Coach Rupp, who uh, must have had a soft spot in his heart because he felt sorry for me that I got kicked off the football team. And he uh, put me on the freshman basketball team. And uh, I existed there until the end of the season when uh, Coach Rupp told me I was too slow and couldn't go to my blank left. And uh, he told me I obviously could wash jocks and, and fold towels. So uh, I got to work for Bill Kitely for three years, and believe me, that was an experience in itself. Mm. Yeah, we've heard nothing but just the the, the greatest uh, compliment you can give somebody. Uh, anytime you bring up Bill Kitely's name, anybody that was around him, they just they speak so highly of him. Uh, do you have any kind of especially really great moments or memories of of working with uh, Mr. Kitely? Oh. God, I could tell you a thousand stories, but my best one is before I married my wife, she wanted to uh, she wanted to meet Mr. Wildcat. She went to go to Lexington about 15 years ago for a doctor's appointment. So I called Mr. Kitely, and I said, uh, I said, Bill, uh, I'm thinking about getting married. Would you, uh, my, my 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 fiance would like to meet you. And uh, he said, well, bring her on over here. Just drop her on over the Coliseum. We'll we'll straighten her right out. So I dropped off Bill said, you got any place to go? And I said, yeah, I got to go over to the school of education for something. He said, well, leave her over here. He said, when you get back, she won't marry you. And uh, so I dropped her off. And about an hour later, I came back and picked her up there on the corner of the Avenue of Champions. And she got in the car, and I, my curiosity killed the cat, so to speak. I said, well, what did he say about me? And she looked at me, and she said, that you're the finest young man that ever worked for him. I said, well, what's he smoking today? I said, that, I know that's true. 
And uh, she said, oh, he said you're headstrong, but, but that you'd make a good husband. And I've been married to her now for uh, going on 14 years. So he, Mr. Kitely, Mr. Kitely was a, was a, you know, you might not know this, but Mr. Kitely was a mail carrier. And his predecessor at UK was a man named George Huckel. We called him Huck. And Huckel was the equipment manager for uh, 30-something years before Bill got there. And they met at the post office when Bill was putting the mail up and Hugh asked him if he liked the, the Wildcats, and Bill said, well, you, well, hell yes, I love the Wildcats. Hope I can say that word. And he said, uh, <laughs> well, how would you like to help me with the freshman team? And Bill said, well, that'd be great. I was 1962, and then 1969 is when Mr. Hugo got uh, ill. He got too old to do it, and Bill took over as the head equipment manager and, and served until he passed away in 2008. But uh, Mr. Kitely was—he uh, was—he was one of a kind. I can tell you that. Awesome. That is awesome. You got some Coach Rupp stories because you—you said you oh, were the yeah. last me, manager, right? You were his last manager while he was that's correct. the coach. I'm, I'm, uh, one of the last managers he had. 1970, we went to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama, and we were at the hotel, and. Coach Rupp came to me, and he said, I want you to take me out to Paul Bryant's house. Now, if you know who that is, that's the bear. And I said, the bear? You want to go to the bear's house? He said, yep, I want to go out there and have a few poppers. And I said, okay. I said, uh, I thought you didn't like him. You know, he had coached at UK for eight years, and uh, uh, he, he said, well, he's all right. He said he just coaches that funky ball, that oblong ball. He's not a real coach. Real coach coaches basketball. And I said, all right, so I got a car. I take him out to this mansion. And, guys, you had to see this mansion. I mean, this thing looked like a church. It had white columns, had a two-acre front yard. And uh, I pulled up in front and got Coach Rupp out of the car. And I could remember Coach Rupp at this time was getting close to 68 years old. He was not, not the most nimble guy in the world. I, I rang the bell. Well, there he was, the bear. Now, he didn't have on his houndstooth hat, but he did have on an Alabama smoking jacket. And he, he shook my hand, and, of course, the bear sounded like he had a mouthful of molasses. He said, come on in, boys. Adolf, you go in the, in the parlor and have some drinks. Boy, you go in the kitchen and have some chicken. I said, yes, sir. So I went in there, and the, the cooks fed me chicken and lemon meringue pie and lima beans, as I remember. And uh, for three hours later, the coach uh, – Coach Coach Rupp is uh, well oiled, as they say, and I ain't talking about Ashland oil. And uh, <laughs> I get him in get him in the car, and I realized I'm 19 years old, and this is my opportunity. Now, Vinny, let me tell you, you're sitting there with the greatest coach in basketball, and I still think he is today. And you're thinking, what can I ask him that he'll never remember because he's he's way too far gone for that. So I asked him. I said, Coach. Is it true that 1951 you won the national championship? And this is what Coach Rupp sounded like. He said, well, yes, yes, I did. I beat Kansas State. And I said, and the bear won the Sugar Bowl. He said, I think so. And I said, and they bought you a blue and white Cadillac, and they bought the bear a cigarette lighter. Now, is that a true story? And Coach Rupp looked at me, and he rolled his eyes. He said, well, do you believe it? And I said, Coach, I was born in 51. I really don't know. He said, what did he ever do to deserve a cigarette light? <laughs> so 
So I knew I knew immediately where I stood with Adolph Rupp at that point. <laughs> That's a true story, guys. That's gospel right there. Man. Unbelievable. How did that game with Alabama go after, you know, we, you know we, we beat we we beat the crap out of uh, CM Newton. CM Newton was uh, I'm not no excuse me. Johnny D was the coach at Alabama at the time. CM Newton didn't get hired till about eight years later. He was the CM became the athletic director at, at UK. But at the time, CM Newton was coaching at Transylvania, and Adolph got him that job. And then uh, when he was, I'll tell you, when CM, who's one of my finest best friends and finest man, one of the finest men you'll ever meet. He uh, he integrated the basketball program at uh, at Alabama with a guy named Wendell Hudson, but before he did, he went to Bear Bryant, who was the athletic director at Alabama, and he said, "Can I sign an African American boy to play basketball?" And the Bear looked at him. He said, "Can he play here?" And uh, CM said, "Absolutely." He said, "Sign him up." He said, "The color of his skin means nothing," and that's the kind of guy CM Newton's always been. He's always been a straight up guy, and and. Uh, He's always stood for the the things that class uh, mean in college athletics, and uh, no finer man than Sam Newton. Wow, and we saw that when he hired Tubby Smith at UK, you know, on down the road. You know, it's funny. Tubby and I have been friends for 30 years. I just got a picture today, today's mail, uh, from Memphis, autographed picture from Tubby. I met him in 1988 when he – he threw me off the team bus. He, he had just got hired by the guy at Louisville, and I won't mention his name, thank you. And Tubby gets on the bus, and he's an assistant, and we're getting ready to go to a walkthrough at Freedom Hall, and Tubby's got an afro, and he, he looks at me, and he says, who are you? What are you doing on the damn bus? And I said, I'm, I'm, he's get off the bus. You don't belong in here. So I get off the bus, and I ride in my car at the Freedom Hall, and I'm sitting on the U.K. bench for practice, and here he comes, Tubby says, I thought I just got rid of you. And Mr. Kitely says, don't mess with my boy. He said, he's my boy. And he said, is he your son? He said, no, but he's my boy. Don't mess with him, Smith. And I, and Tubby <laughs> shook my hand. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. And, you know, Tubby and I have been friends ever since, and we've stayed in touch even after he left U.K. and went to Minnesota, Texas Tech, and now Memphis. And, and uh, another fine man, another gentleman is Tubby Smith. That is unbelievable. Do you have some some West Unsell stories going back to Seneca? Oh, yeah. You're just bouncing around. Yes, I did. I was the manager for Bob Mulkey, who was the coach at uh, at Seneca. And so I was, I was only in the eighth grade when Wesley was uh, on the 64 team that played uh, uh, Lexington-Dunbar, which, of course, was not in- integrated in those days. They were coached by the great S.T. Roach. And we played in Memorial Coliseum uh, for the state title. And uh, Unsel, Unsel didn't have a uh, he. he I just tell, filling you in about Wesley. Wesley was a physical specimen, six six and a half, two forty, uh, had hands of steel, could throw the half court pass better than anybody I've ever seen. But Wesley had no temper. He he never never got a technical in high school that I ever saw. Wesley was a gentleman. But we were playing male for the state champ for the regional seventh region championship at Freedom Hall in Seneca was playing it was a nip and tuck affair and Unsell fouled out with three minutes to go so Seneca was handcuffed because they had to play James Garrison uh the backup center who was six nine but he was nowhere near Unsell's uh, quality 
and Seneca was down by one point, uh, 50 to 49 with a minute, excuse me, one second on the clock. Now, you remember, guys, no no partial time, no partial seconds. No, you just had one second and then one click and it's over. And Seneca had the ball at midcourt, and they, they threw the ball into a guy named Jesse Kirk, and Jesse Kirk hit a 40-footer at the horn to win the game. Now, the, the referee... Uh, the, the umpire signaled no basket, but the referee, who is a guy named who lives in Lexington, is was the manager of the Fabulous Five named Humsey Yesen. He was the referee, and Humsey uh, signaled the basket was good. Well, the timer at the game was a actually a male graduate, and he refused to put the basket up. He said, "I won't put it up." So Humsey uh, jumped out. Now Humsey's five foot nine if he's an inch jumps over the, the scores table and hits the scoreboard and, and puts up 51-50, and he says to the PA announcer, announce it. And the guy says, Seneca wins, 51-50. Well, the Mayo players are cutting down the net. They're already, they're already over there with the scissors. Here, goes, here comes Unsel. Unsel walks over there, a man-child, and Unsel says, give me those scissors. Those are my nets. The guys meekly gave Unsel the scissors and says, here you go, brother. <laughs> And and Seneca went on to win their second state title in a row, back to back, sixty three and sixty four. That's that's my best Wesleyan story. <laughs> well, well, Benny knows, you know, being a, a Seneca alumni, West is always kind of my go to uh, when we talk about you know great Seneca uh, athletes. Because you know, outside of the school now, uh, they've got him with Jerry Abramson and, and Diane Sawyer, kind of the the three that most people know from Seneca. So I, I love West Unseld stories. When I came along, I was there with the second generation of Unseld with his nieces and nephews that went through. So I, that's when I went through, uh, you know, as, as you so nicely put it, I'm still, a, I'm still a young guy. So I will, I will take that compliment the rest of the evening. <laughs> well, George Unseld, George was my coach. That's Wesley's older brother who graduated in 61. Mm-hmm. He was Seneca's first All-Stater and went to Kansas to play basketball and, and didn't finish at Kansas. He graduated, but he didn't finish. And then George could have played. He got a, uh, he got drafted by the Lakers, but he George chose to come back to Seneca and coach because that was his dream is to coach. And George came back and, and led Seneca to the state runner-up in 1968 when they finished second to Glasgow, the great Jerry Bailey Rex, uh, uh, the, that team, Clarence, that team that from from uh, Glasgow that all went to uh, uh, Western Kentucky, uh, but George Unsel coached that team, and they 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 came close, but uh, no cigar. But uh, of course, George has passed on now. But we put a new floor in our arena in Seneca, and uh, it's the Wesley Unsel floor. We're still trying to get him back from Baltimore. Uh, Wesley's uh, health has not been as good as it, it could have been. And we want to get him back and dedicate it to him, but it does say uh, West Sunset Floor in the Seneca Arena. Wow! I know you'll be there for that watching TV. Yeah, I'm going to make a concerted effort to to go back. I haven't gone back, and this it sounds bad. Like I said earlier, uh, I attend St. Pius now, St. John Paul II, right across the street, so I can see yep. a lot of things at Seneca. I just haven't I just haven't been in. And my girls want to go to Seneca, so I'm, I'm gonna catch a few football games and some other things uh, this upcoming season because uh, that, that's still that's still my school. 
the only thing we have a problem with, and I don't have a problem with, is I was born a redskin, and I'll I'll die a redskin. But the school board, in its wisdom, changed our team mascot '92 to the Red Hawks. Uh, they said uh, the redskin lonesome polecat was our mascot, which we had since the beginning was not favorable to the Indian tribes, and and people tried to make sense with them and saying. Lonesome Polecat is not a real Indian. He's a he's a cartoon character, but uh, you know, yeah. I'm being a, being in the alumni, we get people that don't want to join. They say, "Well, I'm a Redskin." I said, "Hey, look at our logo. Our logo is a Red Hawk and a Redskin. If you look at our website, SenecaForever.org, you'll see that we have incorporated uh, Lonesome Polecat along with the Red Hawk. So we we recognize the past, but we also recognize the future and say Seneca." is still a great school and we just have to choose that we have a new mascot but uh, don't forget the origins of the school because they're still they were built on greatness absolutely i, I couldn't have said that any better myself Seneca today <laughs> success tomorrow i believe was what is what the catchphrase was when i was there uh mm. You, you guys, when you when decided to put me on, I don't know how. You, I guess Vinny decided to put me on here. You didn't. You didn't really think I could talk this long, I guess. No, I I kind of <laughs> told Terry, uh, and Terry, the way we even kind of crossed paths. Um, right. I was listening to uh, to Dick Gabriel's show, Big Blue Insider. Of course, we're on with him on Wednesday, so I'm not able to listen to him on Wednesday, but. I think Monday before last, he had uh, Greg Mason on the coach at Center College because everybody was talking about, you know, how Center is going to be playing UK, and they got to talking about how Kentucky and Louisville agreed to the Dream Game in a Long John Silver's in Shelbyville, and so right. I had never heard that story, and I tweeted in to Dick, and because Coach Mason kind of enlightened the whole Commonwealth. Grover, you liked my tweet, and so then I I looked at your bio on Twitter and saw that you went to Seneca and, you know, um, UK manager. And on this show, for those who listen, I've had a lot of Harlan County guys, a lot of Cumberland Redskins on. Haven't had anybody from Terry's alma mater of Seneca, so I kept saying, well, man, you know, maybe Terry will get somebody on. And to myself, I'm like, I'm going to try to get somebody from Seneca on, but I don't know anybody from there. But when I saw your bio, I said, this man would be perfect to have on to get some Seneca representation on our show. And so then I sent you a tweet and asked you to email me, and then that's how we've been, you know, corresponding ever since, and here we are. Well, you know you had Joey Couch on. I was uh, in John Pelfrey's wedding uh, in Paintsville uh, when he and his wife, Tracy Lyon, got married. I, I had I'd never been to Johnson County. That's Paintsville, and I – I drove down to the God's country down there, and, and uh, I know John Leslie real well. Uh, if you don't know the John Pelfrey's middle name, Leslie, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a little history here. His parents, Jenny and Jack Pelfrey, are school teachers, and their favorite movie is Gone with the Wind. And the guy, the English actor that's, that played uh, uh, Ashley Wilkes, who was uh, in the movie with Clark Gable, is a guy named Leslie Howard. So when John was born, he has a brother, too, Jerry Pelfrey. But when he was born, his mother named him John Leslie because she liked Leslie uh, Leslie Howard. So that, that's uh, give you – if you ever run into John Pelfrey, ask him where his middle name came from. 
Man, this is just the stories and the knowledge and the history. That's what I kept texting Terry. I said, man, you're going to love Grover. And then you went and told Terry how young he was, so he loved you already. But I knew he would love you, even if you didn't tell him how young he was. I knew he was going to love you. Well, well, let me tell you what Coach, Coach Rupp left with me uh, 48 years ago. I never forgot this until I got uh, I got Terry's attention. His Coach Rupp was a – he realized, guys, he was a farm boy from Kansas, Halstead, Kansas. And Coach Rupp and Coach Cal asked me one time several years ago how much how much money Coach Rupp made this last year. I said $32,000. And Cal raised his eyebrows and said, well, how – how did he live? I said, very well, thank you. He was a millionaire cattle farmer, and he raised Pold Hereford cattle, which are beef cattle. He had a 400-acre farm out in Bourbon County, and, and Coach Rupp equated everything, guys, to cattle. And, and his famous remark to me was, before you can milk a cow, you have to have its attention. Or you may be at the rear end of a bull, and there ain't no cream back there. Now, how long are you going to sit there? Now think about that. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Okay, I'll leave. You, I'll give you one more. Coach Rupp in his office in the Coliseum had a an eight foot wide oil painting of his champion stud bull, who was a a world champion because he bred cattle. Of course, he you got if you have cattle, you got to breed more, and and he had a little tiny picture on his desk of his wife, Esther, and his son, Herky, who just passed away this last year. And uh, I thought it was sort of unusual that Coach Rupp would have an eight-foot-wide oil painting of a bull and have a little tiny picture of his wife and, and son. So I happened to be in his office one day. I don't even know what I was doing in there. And, and I, I thought I would show my ignorance. I said, Coach, I said, isn't there something sort of strange about that, the, the eight-foot-wide painting of champion your bull and and a, a very small picture of your wife and son he looked at me and he said well he he esther can't do what he can do <laughs> oh, <my goodness. laughs> I, I i gotta get you to if you could just also tell the one that you told me when we were talking on the phone the other day about how coach Rupp was able to keep that same hundred dollar bill for so long Okay, well, Coach Rupp was tighter than a snake, guys. Now, I'm going to tell you, he he uh, he never he never spent money because he didn't have to, but he'd always go out to dinner, Vinny. He'd always go out, and he'd always he, he didn't like to go out by himself. Miss Mrs. Rupp uh, didn't always go out with him. Sometimes he'd go to I drive him to the Olika Temple down on uh, Southland Drive. But if he'd go out to eat, he usually went out with a friend, usually a banker or one of his advisors or anything, and. Never failed, Coach Rupp would be in a restaurant or hotel dining room, and someone would approach him and ask for an autograph. Now, remember, Coach Rupp is very nasal because he's from Kansas, and and someone would walk up and said, you know, Coach, could I have, uh, you mind giving me an autograph? And Coach Rupp would say, well, here, join us for coffee. Here, sit down. And the guy would say, oh, no, I don't want, oh, no, I insist. Sit down, have coffee and dessert with us. So they'd sit, and Coach Rupp would regale him with a few of his tales, and uh, the guy would finally get his autograph, and then the bill would come. And uh, the waitress would hand it, and Coach Rupp would reach in his fumble in his wallet, and a few moths would fly out. He'd uh, get out a brand-new $100 bill. 
Chris looked like he just came out of the mint, you know. And the guy would say, oh, no, no, coach, no, no, let me pay for your dinner. And he'd say, oh, no, no, that's not necessary. And he said, oh, please. He said, once you break 100, it's gone for good. And he said, well, are you sure? He said, well, I insist. Oh, all right. So the guy would pay for their dinner and leave the tip, and the coach up would be heading on his way out to the parking lot with his friend. The guy would leave with his autograph, whatever he'd gotten signed. Coach up, look at the guy, and he said, works every time. <laughs> <laughs> man, that was, that was so good. All these stories yeah, would be great, man. Uh, man, Terry, I told you, I told you, man, Seneca representation, UK basketball history, I told you, man, I couldn't wait for for Grover to be over with us, man. Yeah, you know, I certainly that appreciate was, you coming on. Yeah, that's great, guys. And, I, you know, I, I'm a big – I love the Wildcats. I, you know, I've been uh, – uh, the U.K. has been so good to me, and I was there at the right time because that was Coach Ross. My senior year was his last year. They forced him out. Of course, he was ill. He had many health problems. But, you know, Coach Trump was bitter. He he really thought he'd been there 42 years that he should be able to, to call his own shot when he wanted to retire. But the president of the university said, no, you uh, – you, 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 You've reached the mandatory age of retirement at 70, which was uh, uh, that was state law at the time. Can't do that now. And Coach Rupp was forced out, and Joe Hall took over and all. But but Coach Rupp was bitter. He he didn't want Joe to take his job. He thought his legacy was not secure. But uh, of course, proved it. Joe Hall in his 13 years won a national championship. Was a runner-up for one more one. Uh, I think eight SEC titles and NIT. Joe Joe Hall was uh, he was an Adolf Rupp disciple. Played for Coach Rupp in the fifties. He, he he acquitted himself well, but but Adolf only lived five years after they retired him. He died in nineteen seventy seven of cancer. But uh, he uh, he was not a well man. But uh, I'll guarantee you one thing: when when John. Calipari got hired, and he went to the Coliseum, and they introduced him, and the first thing he did, if you remember, I don't know if you remember this, but I'm a student of history, he, he asked that Bill Kiteley's widow and his, his daughter come up there and join him at the head table. He cemented the past and the present because he mm-hmm. knew the feelings that people have for Bill Kiteley, and he brought him up to the head, he brought them up to the head table and said, you know, I want you part of this, and that Right then and there, it's like uh, it, it just taught you that uh, that John Calipari and he always gives gives credit to Coach Rupp that he built the program. I'm just keeping the seat warm. <laughs> right. And, and, right. And, and I'm glad you said that because we've said it on this show before, and a lot of folks have said that the the Cal gets it. You know, he's brought he uh, former players back. You know, raising re-raising the championship banners. He's done things to bridge the gap between, you know, those folks that laid the foundation and the one and done and everybody in between. And you don't often see a coach kind of embrace the totality of a program like Cal has. So I, I know it, it makes me feel good not uh, being as young as I used to be, but I, I hear a lot of the older people talking about, you know, he hasn't forgotten those players that played way back when. Well, you know, guys, if you, if you think about it, when Adolph got there, uh, he was an assistant football coach the first three years. He coached basketball. He didn't even become this basketball only until 33 because basketball football was the king in the SEC. 
But, you know, he, he kept going through the SEC. And in my days, we played in Quonset huts and, and agricultural barns and, and places of horse manure and things. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe some of the places we went when 1969 and 70. But Coach Rupp kept beating the snot out of people so much. They finally started building these edifices that you see today, and that's all credit to him because he got tired of Kentucky, and Kentucky is the bell cow of the SEC in basketball. I mean, this year it looks like we're going to have five or six teams in the, in the NCAA tournament, but it all started with Adolph Rupp in 1930. He, he came in, interviewed, they interviewed 92 people when they interviewed Adolph Rupp for the head job in 1930, and the reason they hired him is he was an arrogant old cuss, and they, they said, why should we hire you? You've never been a college coach. And he said, because if you don't hire me, you'll live to regret it. And that's all he said. And they and they took him at his word. And all he did was win 878 games and four national championships. And, uh, you know, he he's the, he's the foundation that the program is built on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Grover, we can't thank you enough for coming on and, uh, enlightening us with, with Seneca history, Kentucky basketball history, Bill Kitely history. We've enjoyed every minute of it and really appreciate uh-huh. you hopping on with us. Anytime, guys, you know how to reach me. Don't be a stranger. Uh, uh, always glad to talk about either the Redskins or the, or the Wildcats. So they're two of my favorite subjects. Uh, you know, one of my players asked me last season, of course, I'm quite a bit older than my 16, 17-year-olds. They coach, so how long ago did you play? And I said, well, about 48 years ago. And they said, did, did you have electricity? I said, no. No, I studied by coal oil and rode a mule to school. And they said, a mule? I said, uphill in the snow both ways. Don't be strangers, guys. Anytime you need somebody to fill in, I'm, I'm always glad. And, and I really appreciate you giving me a, a sounding board. My favorite subjects uh, I, I expounded on. And, uh, Terry, keep hanging in there. You, uh, you're you a young man. you got a lot of good years ahead of you. Well, I certainly ah, appreciate it, Mr. Grover. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's right. I, I love yes, that. Sir. I'm, I'm, I'm going to remember that here in a couple of weeks. All that's right. right. Well, I can't wait Hear the podcast of this. I'm. Uh, I, I found out what Stitcher is after Vinny sent me that information. I didn't. Even, I thought Stitcher was a sewing machine. That shows you what I know. But anyway, thanks guys and have a great night. Thank you. Right. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks so much. Have a good night. Go Cats. All right. That is a former UK basketball manager. Seneca alum, current Seneca coach, Grover Sales TV. You can no longer say we haven't had anybody from your playing the Seneca High. <laughs> yeah, and when you first said this to me, I, I couldn't I couldn't place it, but uh, but yeah, uh, it, it's great hearing hearing stories and uh, putting putting uh, a little bit of background to. You know, we all, I think every school in your trophy case, there's always those old trophies and there's pictures of the different teams and they're black and white and you just kind of walk by them. And, you know, I knew uh, a little bit of, you know, you know about the state championships and all that kind of stuff. I had no idea that's how the game went. 
I knew it was a one-point game over Flaget, but I didn't know it was quite that dramatic or or or, or West over Mayo uh, in that fashion. So I, yeah, I'm 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 smiling and enjoying that. I'm just glad it worked out. You know, I just, you know, we just crossed paths because I mean, I didn't know you know any secret coaches or anything like that. But I was like, man, if I can ever figure out how to get somebody on from Seneca, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. And and it's just cool how how it worked out that way. I mean, rough history, Kitely history, Seneca stories. And like I texted you, uh, I think last week, I said it's going to be kind of like when we had Oscar Combs on from that historical perspective that goes way back, you know, kind of that connected history, you know, to Coach Rupp. He was there. He was the manager because Coach Rupp told him flat out, you're not good enough to play for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, uh, but sometimes you can appreciate that that honesty, so that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So that was a a, a blunt, brutal evaluation of his talent his freshman year. Uh, but he was, you know, what that's a that's a distinction and a half. One of the the last manager of the Adolf Rupp era. So unbelievable. Sometimes we just sit and just have to just. Think about how unbelievable it is when we have guests like that on. <laughs> this isn't the first time we've done it. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, and, and you know, when, when he took a breath, it's kind of hard to think of the next question because you're still trying to absorb the last uh, the last story. So definitely a fun, uh, uh, fun, you know, two really great guests. And we've said it before, great guests kind of make the make the show easier for us and, and, and easier for the listeners so they're not listening to us. Go on and on and on all the time. So definitely, uh, uh, just a just a great great show. And you you said you said that any time that Grover took a breath, it was kind of hard to ask the next question because we were still you know just so on the edge of our seat from what he had just said. Is this the first time I think it's ever happened? I didn't even write any questions down. For him, you know, I had I had a few things written down for Joey Couch. I had a few things written down for every guest. I kind of do that before I even ask him to come on. What will I ask this person? What will I ask that person? For Grover, I swear, I just I put uh, Rupp, Unsell, Kylie. That's all I. And I had no questions, but I knew that I wasn't gonna need it just from talking to him. You know, a couple of days ago, I'm not even need questions. Yeah, uh, just just sometimes you just have to take it all in, and we got a little bit of a bonus of a Bear Bryant story, yeah, and and it's yeah. great, you know. And and I was just thinking back to when we had Mike Pratt on, and my goodness, that's probably three years ago because it was the yeah it was because it was the Wednesday after that Kansas annihilation a couple of seasons ago, so almost three years ago. Just the 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 stories of that you don't that that you really don't get, even mm-hmm. you know uh, you know from from reporters and that kind of thing. You don't get these very humanistic stories. I I still talk about Mike Pratt's story, you know, when they're practicing down at LSU and 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 somebody went behind the back during practice and and, and Rupp saying, 
you know, we're Kentucky. We don't do that, you know, as they're playing against the yeah. Bears. I mean, yeah. that just little things like that, I, I think, are, are 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 just, and you don't get that. Uh, they 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 make they make these uh, they make these these figures human. And I meant what I said, Bill Kitely. I I've talked to a lot of Kentucky people. I know you have too. You can't find anybody that has said it can say anything bad about it. Yeah, that's it. So the thing about uh, when we had Mike Pratt on that I always remember, you know, in telling those stories, because uh, he 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 gave us a couple good stories. The thing <laughs> that I just kept, I was just tripping on, was that Mike Pratt was just calling Adolf on a first name basis, just as casual. And I'm like, wow, he's just calling him, like, he's calling him Adolf. Because, you know, for us, you know, you know, he had already passed before we were born. His coach Rupp, his Adolf Rupp. And here my friend is, you know, Adolf stopped practice and said this, Adolf did that. And I just, I just kept, I was just shocked every time he would do it. He just called him Adolf. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that too, and, and uh, it, you know, it just depends, I think, on the on the relationship. But yeah, I, I caught that. But you get these little nuggets, so that's why you know it, I'm I'm so uh, we've been blessed and thankful to have really good guests. I think we talk about this every week. We have guests on. Uh, you know, it's hard to rank them. I think every guest has brought something unique. You know, we've covered. Uh, I think we've talked to every resident of Harden, uh, of Harlan County on the show. Uh, I, I think that we've we've talked to just about everybody from Harlan, uh, you know, short of the mayor, state representative, everybody from Harlan we've had on. So it's good to have a little bit of Seneca representation on the show. So I'm pretty excited about that. I've been tweeting out yeah. pictures. Uh, there's the the big life size picture of Wes Unsell that hangs up in the gym, and that's it, awesome. it, it, it 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 it's uh, totally it slipped my mind that the court had been renamed for uh, Wes uh, Unsell in the we had two gyms a small gym and a big gym the big gym I don't know if you caught what Grover had said uh, the first principal of Seneca was Kenneth Farmer the gym itself is named for him but the floor is now named after uh, Wes Unsell, which, I mean, honestly, I, I, I couldn't think of. If you're going to name the court after somebody in Seneca, I can't think of anybody else. You, you know it wasn't going to be me in, in my anemic you know, playing career. But uh, but I'm going to go back. Uh, I remember what I said. You know, I go to church right, I mean, right across the street, uh, right across Goldsmith Lane from Seneca, and uh, – and so I'm, I'm gonna go back. I, I haven't been for. A while. I think it's probably been. I I don't think Little Miss was born the last time I went to like a football game. But I'm gonna try to do a little bit of that uh, because I'm still a proud, 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 proud alumni, as longtime listeners know, because I'm always touting Seneca. But um, for for folks my age with Seneca, you know. The schools that you have heard about from Harlan, from Louisville, your Mayo, Manual, of course, Trinity, St. X, uh, consistently Seneca has been right there in that mix. You know, uh, as far as football, we talk about, you know, Kentucky 
being in the SEC and just how brutal it was, uh, they've since kind of revamped the districts and regions. But when I was in school for football, for football, our uh, district was Mayo, Manual, Saint X, and Trinity. Is 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 who we is who we had to play. So we would always have that three or four game stretch, and then you know we would play Fern Creek. We were kind of rivals with them every year. So we had a kind of a brutal schedule, of, uh, yeah. you know, for football wise, because that's when uh, Chris Redman was doing his thing and uh, at, at Mayo. So. Uh, but Seneca's always been, I think, the best kept secret uh, of Jefferson County. Uh, and here I am, you know, kind of plugging my alma mater. But I'm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, most, 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 most school spirited, uh, and, and I've kind of kept that with me. I've never been ashamed of, of where of, of of you know where I came from, what school I went to. Like I said, it's not a name school, but hey. I would I would put I would put Seneca alumni up against any other you know school in the in the city or in the state uh, outside of the big three you know West uh, Jerry Abramson for mayor of Louisville and Diane Sawyer uh, a lot of really great great people have come through Seneca so uh, there's not a day has gone by I regret it being a, a Seneca alumni now and I I know and I know what you just said. You haven't regretted it. You, in the past, said that you lived in the Fern Creek district, but went to Seneca. So, like in seventh and eighth grade, were you wanting to go to Fern Creek and not wanting to go to Seneca, or you went to Seneca the entire time? What was young TG's mindset back then? Well, I went to uh, the Brown School here in town, which is a weird. Back then, it was a hippie school, so it was actually first to eighth grade, or first to twelfth grade. You go grades one through twelve back then. I went first to eighth grade at Brown, and when the time came to choose schools, most people I know, a uh, big chunk went to Mayo, big chunk went to Manual, uh, some folks went to went to Fern Creek. Uh, I just went to Seneca. Basically, they had an advanced program. That was the only difference. I could have walked oh. to Fern Creek. But Seneca had an advanced program, and that's that's where I ended up going. Uh, it was a the way Louisville is set up is the strangest thing. Uh, a little bit different now, but still, you know, back then, didn't matter where you live, you could go to any school you wanted to go to. Uh, schools had different magnet programs, whatnot. But I say that, and I think I went to Seneca. My immediate next door neighbors went to Mail. The guy across the street went from Fern went to Fern Creek. The girls two doors down went to Manual. So you had like six high schools represented within like three or four houses of each other, which is a wow. little awkward, a little weird. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know if I've told this story. Do we have time? Do we have? I don't. If we go over, I know we're going to be on the. So I wrestled in the yeah, high school. About, that was my big yeah. thing. Yeah. And I wrestled in the high school. My mom never, ever wanted to see me come because, you know, that's my baby kind of thing. So my dad would always take me. There was a kid that lived on the other side of my neighborhood who went to Fern Creek who we had played together a little bit growing up, uh, and, and he wrestled as well. So we, we knew we were on a collision course. 
and we'd see each other around the neighborhood. And you know how you're drawing back and forth, you're drawing back and forth. And so it was the Jefferson County Meet of Champions at Eastern High School, I think my junior year, if I had to remember. I don't have a good memory as Grover, but I think it was my junior year. So a timing issue, my mom has to come pick me up, but she thinks that I've already wrestled. She's just picking me up. We're ready to go. But she shows up, and I've, I've got to now wrestle this kid that lived on the other side of the neighborhood. So this was the only match my mother ever saw me wrestle, only one. And before we, I don't know if you've seen real wrestling, not your WWE stuff, but real wrestling. We come out, we shake hands, and this kid mouths to me that he's going to whoop me in front of my mother. And um, <laughs> by nature, I'm not very aggressive, to much to the frustration of my coach. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say I, I wore him out. I beat him like 15 yeah. to 1. I'm, it got to the point Ooh. I was beaten. I, I, I got up. I let him get up just so I could take him down again. And so we're going at it. At one point, he said something to me. And, you know, you, it's not real wrestling. You can't punch and fight. But I ended up, I, I, I whacked him in the face pretty good and blacked his eye and, and got called for unnecessary roughness. Uh, the only match my mom ever saw, I beat the kid from Fern Creek. And so, you know, after that, you know, walking around the neighborhood, I let everybody know that yeah. kid right there, I, I, I yeah, yeah, I, I beat him. So, I beat him. So, <laughs> so as, as we wrap up these last few seconds, you, you basically went Muhammad Ali for passion on him, is what you're saying. You just, you didn't like oh, him yeah. out so you can keep beating him down. You watched my name, is yeah, what you it, basically did. <laughs> It, yeah, and and I and I gave up a point for that necessary roughness just because you. I think it was like fifteen zero. You could get like a technical pin. I said I don't want to get a technical pin. I want this to keep going. <laughs> and and it's yeah. <laughs> and my dad's thing was to my mom. Well, you need to come all the time now. He I mean, just it was one of those things. It was a perfect storm. This kid had been aggravating me. You know, it was a neighborhood yeah. kid. People kind of knew, you know, this collision course. And then my mom's in the stands. I was like, you know, can't lose this one. I can't lose with my mom That's in right. the stands. And this kid doesn't tell me he's going to he's gonna whoop me in front of my mom. So, yeah, that's probably my peak athletic accomplishment, you know, outside of pickup yeah. games and whatnot. That's probably the, the peak uh, of, of, of beating that beating that kid pretty good. Uh, I mean, we 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 didn't become friends, but we came. You know, hey, how's it going? It, I, I I wasn't too bad with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Um, super great show, and I mean, we say that every week, but hopefully, everybody listening feels the same way. So appreciate everybody listening, and appreciate you being there with the hecticness of your day. Appreciate our guests, Joy Couch and Grover Sales, uh, everybody watching on Facebook Live, and hopefully have some more great guests coming. I'm not going to name names and all that, but hopefully there's some, some more great guests in the works where we're sitting there saying this again. Uh, football season's right around the corner. We can see, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, 44 days or so left. But, man, just uh, super great show. 
Don't talk a lot of recruiting, but check out my little piece on CameronMillsRadio.com when EJ Price transferred to UK from USC. So another lineman where we've already got a lot of depth on the offensive line. Check that out. Close everybody else's pieces on CameronMillsRadio.com. TV, man, thanks a bunch. And uh, just let that compliment from Grover just just marinate and just glow with it. Roll with it and glow and be the youthful baby that you are for the rest of the night. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it a run because you know we're 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 getting we're we're getting close to to forty for me. So uh, and, and the big miss, little miss have not let me forget that uh, you know we're getting close to uh, my fortieth birthday. But I'm I'm okay with it. I I just joke. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not one to put my age back or anything. So I'm excited about that. Great show. Great guest. Uh, and, and, and you actually were able to do some stuff, and we didn't have any technical difficulties. So we got to—I don't know if I yeah. should talk about that. It's like a—it's like a no hitter. Should I? I don't know if I should talk about it. But hey, we 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 rocking and rolling, so we, we we're good to go there. Absolutely, man. And I'll I'll see you right around the time when you're you're gonna be knocking on forty. So I'll, I'll see if you're any worse for the wares and. And uh, like you say, you're not worried about it. Just the girls talking trash, but but I see you definitely a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, make sure that the moment isn't too big for you. It's just a number, so you'll be good. Absolutely, absolutely. Great show, Vinny. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. That's it. Appreciate everybody. Join us next week, same time, same channel. For my man. Randy Hardy, see y'all next week on Guest Talk Wednesday. Randy Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com.